Well, hello, friends. Grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, be with you. Welcome to Sermons from the Mount podcast. My name is Pastor Mark O'Neill. I currently serve as the pastor of Mount Olivet United Methodist Church in Manio, North Carolina. Each week, we will post here audio recordings of the sermons that I preach from that church. Hope this one is a blessing to you. God bless. Take care. Friends, our gospel lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be taking a look at the 10th chapter, and this morning, verses 2 through 16. So again, this is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 2 through 16. Some Pharisees came, and to test him... Who was him? Jesus. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid hands on them, and blessed them. My friends, this is the word of God for you and I, the children of God. Thanks be to God. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When do we usually hear those words? Weddings, right? And what are we saying? Well, you now, husband and wife, we don't want you to depart from one another. We don't want you two to separate. We don't want there to be any division in your marriage. We hear these words spoken by Jesus and we automatically think of the relationship between a newly made husband and wife. But this week, as I continue to read over it and ponder it and discern what it was exactly that God wanted me to share with you this morning, I kept coming back to this thought. What if Jesus' words to us this morning are meant not just for that one aspect of some of our lives. We spoke last week about Jesus very much wanting there to be kingdom inclusivity. And I think part of this kingdom inclusivity is that every word that the Lord speaks in Scripture is meant for every one of us. If we take the words of our Lord as they have typically been interpreted, then what we are saying is that His teaching here is only for one category of folks. 
one exclusive category of folks that have had to deal with divorce in their lives. And it would mean that those that remain married or those that never have an opportunity to marry or those that become widowed and decide never to remarry could just then skip over this entire section, right? Because it doesn't affect you. Not on my watch. I think Jesus' words here, though they are most certainly couched in terms of divorce, have some applicability to each and every one of our lives. Because whether we like it or not, divisions run deeper than just holy matrimony, both in the appointed text and in our own lives. The question before us this morning, friends, is this. What causes division? What causes separation? And how are we to deal with it? Now, if we pull back from Scripture just a little bit, the issue of division does not just begin right here with the Pharisees' question to Jesus about divorce. Division in Mark's gospel happens much, much earlier. We start to see the cracks form in Mark chapter 2 when Jesus claims to forgive the sins of the paralytic man. As you may recall, this is the man whose friends so desperately wanted to get him to the healing power of Jesus that not only did they carry him to Jesus on a mat, and seeing the crowd outside of the house where Jesus was, not only did they climb up to the roof with this man, they dug a hole in the roof and lowered him down, all to get him to our Savior's feet. And in doing so, these guys model for you and for me exactly the kind of people that we all need to surround ourselves with. We talked about this at the youth breakfast a couple of weeks ago. Surround yourself with people who, when they see you in need of healing, will carry you to Jesus and do anything and everything to get you to him. And similarly... Everybody here needs to be the kind of friend that when you see one of your buddies in trouble, that you will carry them to Jesus, no matter what the obstacle may be. Amen? But, rather than accepting his words and works as a gift from God, and marveling at what just happened, the Pharisees in this story instead separated themselves from their own Messiah. How? By hardening their hearts towards him. By feeling jealousy towards him. By prejudging him. By feeling threatened by him. By whispering about him behind his back. By doubting him. By not engaging in conversation with him. By not trying to understand him. By not trying to get to know him. And these initial cracks of separation morph quickly into outright opposition. Just go one more chapter into Mark chapter 3. And we see that they are trying to find ways to destroy Jesus. Jesus heals the man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And then we read the Pharisees start plotting with some Herodians about the best way to get rid of this Jesus guy. And to be honest, the scripture this morning is not the first time that the Pharisees try to trap Jesus. If we go to Mark chapter 8, we see them demanding from Jesus a sign from heaven. And Jesus doesn't bite. Unless we think this is the last time they try to test Jesus or trap Jesus, they do it again just two chapters later in Mark chapter 12 when the Pharisees ask Jesus, Hey Jesus, are we supposed to pay taxes or not? 
And then Jesus gives us all a stewardship lesson. When he says, give to the emperor things that are the emperor's and give to God the things that are God's. So friends, this issue of separation, this issue of division is found all throughout Mark's gospel. But yes, here the Pharisees are asking Jesus about a specific type of division, namely about divorce. They wanted him to take a stand on whether or not divorce was permissible. And I'll be honest, it's not obvious to me exactly how they hoped to trap Jesus. Commentaries offer multiple possibilities, but none of the ones I read this week seem to be conclusive, and quite honestly, I'm fine with that. Why? Because I don't think the specifics of the Pharisees' plan is as helpful to us today as Jesus' response. Because Jesus' response was clear and direct. The permission Moses gave was never the way it was supposed to be. From the beginning, God had established permanent unions. And Jesus' conclusion in verse 9 was unambiguous. What therefore God has joined together, let no one separate. And again, we hear that verse, and again, we think immediately about marriage. But friends, what if, what if Jesus is addressing for us this morning God's displeasure at any type of division that is caused by sin. Could that be what Jesus means when he says, what God has joined together, let no one separate? Think about it. What else has God joined together? Families. Without our consent or our permission, God brought us into existence and gave us parents. And for many of us, God gave us brothers or sisters. To some of us, he gave children. And yet the sad fact is that some of our greatest sources of heartache stem from trouble we have with members of our immediate families. And we are tempted to walk away. We're tempted to give the cold shoulder to. We're tempted to edge out members of our family who are oftentimes hard to love, difficult to forgive, or tough to enjoy. And how does this happen? Well, I can't speak for every relationship, but I think sometimes it is just like how the Pharisees separated themselves from Jesus way back in Mark chapter 2, by hardening our hearts towards them, by feeling jealousy towards them, by prejudging them, by feeling threatened by them, by whispering about them behind their back, by doubting them, by not engaging in conversation with them, by not trying to understand them, by not trying to get to know them. But God, friends, has joined us to them. And so we should not separate from them. What else has God joined together? Individual believers to each other. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. God has united all of us. God has put us together. He has made us all members of one another as members of one body, that one body, of course, being the body of Christ. And in a moment, we're going to share this loaf together, further signifying our connectedness, our togetherness, 
and are joining together by God. And when you think about it, God is even responsible for bringing together the members of this congregation to this time and this place, whether it be here in person or watching us online. And yet, divisions also happen in churches, don't they? What are those causes? I think similar things that cause the separation between Jews and the Pharise Jesus and the Pharisees and separation sometimes amongst family members. Hard hearts, jealousy, prejudice, feeling threatened by those we don't understand, gossip, breaches of confidentiality, doubting the gifts of others, by not engaging in rational conversation with those we disagree with, by not trying to understand those we disagree with, by not trying to get to know those we disagree with. Friends, this morning I want all of us to consider what it might take for all of us personally to help prevent or heal some of the divisions you may see in this congregation. Now, I don't say that flippantly or with anything particular in mind, but I say it for one reason. At our administrative board meeting this week, at the end of it, we all came into this sanctuary to sit in silence together, simply to listen to what God might be telling us. We talked about needing to discern God's will together as a group for both ourselves, this church, and this community. And the word that kept coming back to me, friends, was healing. Healing. I have no specifics, but I feel that there are things in this church, whether on an individual level, a congregational level, or both, that need healing. I think we are due for a healing service where we all come together in this space and we pray together and we read scripture together and we anoint one another with oil and we bring to this altar all the things in our lives that need the healing hand of the master. God has joined us together, friends. And we cannot be who we need to be as servants if we are not healthy. What else has God joined together? Individual believers to himself. Through baptism, God has united you to Jesus and his death and resurrection. He has buried you and your divisive tendencies in the grave. And he has raised you to a new and resurrected life. He has promised to remain faithful to you no matter what trial or tribulation may come your way. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, 38 through 39, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation." will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. What this means for us, friends, is there's not a man, woman, creature, angel, or devil that can separate us from the love of our Creator. Even at your worst, when you think that you have walked as far away from God as you can, God still loves you. And wants you to come back. There's not a single thing you can do 
to make God love you any less. And quite truthfully, there's not a single thing you can do to make God love you anymore. Because God's love is a perfect love. And this perfect love is promised to all of us forever. Do you believe it? Say amen. amen. Do you believe God stays true to his promises? Say amen. amen. Then friends, this promise should change all the real and potential divisions caused by sin in our lives. It should embolden us to live together as members of Christ's body with both humility and selflessness. It should empower us as we reflect on this perfect love and all the grace and mercy poured into us each day by the Almighty to forgive and re-engage with estranged siblings, parents, and children. It should enable those of us who remain married to remain faithful to our vows and to seek help when needed. But above all, friends, God's promise never to separate us from the love of Jesus means that our security and our confidence and our forgiveness, even for our part in past divisions, depends entirely on His faithfulness and not ours. God has joined us together with Him. And no one, friends can separate us. Now I want to say one more thing about the end of this passage. And Lee touched on it here a little while ago. And it's not really related to what I just talked about. And it only came to me yesterday afternoon. We spent the better part of the day enjoying a picture-perfect Carolina blue sky in Chapel Hill watching your Tar Heels take care of a little light work against Duke. We saw college kids all over the place. I got to see a friend of mine I made in college that I had not seen in 10, 12 years or so. How do you got to see one of the friends she made in college, one of her best friends she made in college there as well? We saw a young man who, when we were in Burlington, he was in the middle school youth program He's now a senior at Carolinas. It was just a wonderful, wonderful day. And driving back, here's what I thought. For all the ways that we glorify and talk up the college experience of friends, it can be an absolute blast. I think what we fail to remember sometimes is this. College can be hard. It's your first time away from parents. It's your first time with 100% independence. You're trying to navigate not just the academic waters you find yourself in, but also the tugs and pulls of social life and trying to find a way to balance the two. I know that from my experience, I thought that academically, it was going to be just like high school. You sit in the back, crack a couple of jokes, collect your A when test day comes. But my first two exams in college, I got a D on both. And that does not stand for dandy. <laughs> but here's where I'm going with this. Some of you have kids in college right now. Some of us will have kids in college next year. 
And I want to make sure that we follow the advice of our Lord and Savior toward the end of our passage this morning. It says, He took the children up in His arms, put His hands on them, and blessed them. That's what we should be doing. I want us to make sure that for our kids in college now, for those that may go in the years to come, and for those that choose not to go to college at all and instead pursue other interests, that we remember to pray for all of them. Don't let them be out of sight, out of mind. Through prayer, we can figuratively pick them up, lay our hands on them, and bless them. We need to remember to encourage them and let them know that the hand of, Almighty, of the Almighty is always on them. That no challenge or difficulty they face is without His presence. That no trial is without His strength. And no decision made with His counsel will ever be wrong. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Until next time, God bless. Take care.